ever experienced that to where you just had this sense that God was leading you, then you know there, there's nothing like that. And it doesn't take too long to notice when it, your life's not aligned in that way. There's something powerful about knowing that our steps are being directed by God. And so today, I want to look at the ultimate example of living that lifestyle. How many of you know that if there's any, anybody that ever walked on the earth as a man who lived their life with their steps being ordered by God, it was Jesus. Come on, that was an easy amen. That was a low, that was a low level introductory amen. Like you can all get in on that one, okay? Jesus was perfect. <laughs> he even said in his life, I only do the things the Father tells me to. I gotta be honest, I can't say that. I've done a whole lot of things and then asked God to bless it, and God's like, I never told you to do that. <clears throat> but Jesus only did the things the Father told him to. And so I want to give you one verse of scripture today. And this verse is powerful because we don't know what Jesus' life looked like from the time he was 12 years old until he was 30 years old. We don't get that in the Gospels. We see him as a child in the Christmas story. We see him as a boy in the temple at 12 years old. We get a snapshot, and then we get nothing until he's 30 years old except one verse. But this one verse, though it's small, it's enough to give us a pattern for what it looks like to have a life that is established by God. And so I want to look at that verse today, and I'm going to tell you, this verse is going to not only be our text for today, but it's going to be the outline for our life group series that we're going to be launching at the end of next month. And I'm so excited about the life groups getting together and talking and having conversations around these topics. Not only that, but as I've prayed throughout this second half of 2017, God's began to give me series and messages that I'm going to deliver throughout this year that come right out of this verse. How many of you want to know what the verse is? Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It's the window we get into Jesus' life. It's all we know from 12 to 30 years old. What was it like for Jesus to live as a man and have his steps established by God? Luke 2, 52. Here it is on the screen. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now look, if you're here today and you figured it all out already, this probably isn't for you. <laughs> You've already arrived. But for the rest of us, who haven't arrived yet, I want you to know it says Jesus grew. In other words, when Jesus stepped down out of eternity and he became a man, he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he not only subjected himself to the limitations of an earthly body, he subjected himself to the process of growing. Not just physically, but even intellectually. How many of you know Jesus didn't come out of the womb preaching? No, it was a, a process. Jesus grew. And I want you to know that the plan of God for your life and for my life this year is that we grow. And so I want to challenge you to pay close attention to how Jesus grew because he's going to lay the foundation for how we're to grow. And if you're a note taker, and you should all be note takers, number one is this. Jesus grew in wisdom. Let me talk to you about growing in wisdom for a minute. I'll, I'll just tell you three things that we ought to do this year to grow in wisdom. First of all, we need to learn more. You need to learn more. 
The one thing you're never going to stop being, or at least you should never stop being, is a learner. The Bible says in Philippians 1 verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. This is the Apostle Paul praying for one of his churches. That, that you don't just get grounded in the faith that you learned, but that you abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, Paul is saying, don't stop learning. I read a statement from Roy T. Bennett that said, the past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. The past is a place of learning, not a place of living. There's a lot of people, they're not growing in wisdom because they're not learning. They're living in the past. They're living off of past experience. Can I just appeal to you today that there may be something that God has for you in your future as a ministry, but you don't even have the skill set yet to accomplish it. There may be things that, that God wants you to do, but before you can do it for His glory, you've got to just learn the skill. Let me give you an example. Right now, the guys are, are serving in the back. Don is uh, running a, di a digital console, uh, a soundboard that we just purchased a couple months ago. He's on the learning curve. We're, we're figuring this thing out. Never done that before, but he's applied himself to know how to do it. He's applied himself to learn how to do it. And God's using him right now to broadcast this message. God's using Joe back there right now, running our computers and putting the scriptures up here. And this message is streaming live on Facebook. Anybody essentially on all four corners of the world, could log on and watch this message for free. Now, how many of you thought 20 years ago that was a possibility? No way. We'd have had all kinds of TV equipment in here and expensive satellites, and it would have cost millions of dollars. But what I'm saying is this. There are methods of ministry that haven't even been thought of yet. And God wants to continue to use you, but you have to be willing to be a learner. We need to learn more, not stay stuck in the past. We also need to remember more, to not just learn more, but to remember more. Here's what Paul said to Timothy, a young pastor who he was mentoring. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.15, he said, Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Now, now I'll tell you what the matters were. He was talking about the word of God. And the gift of God that was in Timothy's life. The word of God and the gift of God. Now every one of you, if you're saved, you have the word of God. You don't even have to be saved to have the word of God. You can just grab one from the chair in front of you. It's right there. We have the word of God, but we also have, if you're a believer in Christ, a gift from God. And so Paul tells Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Can I just ask you to consider in your own heart, can other people see your progress? If you've been serving the Lord for six weeks or six years, can other people that know you see your progress in your life? It takes diligence. You know, this last Wednesday, my two youngest daughters, Macy and Mally, they signed up to be on a Bible quiz team. The season's about to start. And so Wednesday night, they got their little study book. The, the topic for this season is 1 Corinthians. And so their assignment this week was to study chapter 1, the first 17 verses. They got the books Wednesday night. 
Can I tell you, my daughter Macy has almost memorized 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 17 in four days. Yeah, so don't tell me that you can't memorize the Word of God, especially when you can tell me the starting lineup of all your favorite football teams and what college they went to and what their stats are. It's amazing what we can remember. And yet how many times, let's be honest, how many times have we said, oh, I struggle to memorize the Word of God. I can't remember the Word of God. Yes, you can. You can grow in wisdom. You can learn and you can memorize the Word of God. I, I just wonder today how many of us have enough Scripture memorized to actually get us out of trouble. That's what the Word will do for you. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went into the wilderness, the Bible says, to be tempted by the devil. And every time the devil came to tempt him, what happened? We see it three different times in that chapter. It says, Jesus replied, it is written. When the enemy came to tempt him, Jesus had the word of God in his heart. He had memorized the word and he said, it is written. I wonder how many of us have enough of the scripture in our, in our life and in our heart to keep us from getting into trouble. David said it like this. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. See, what happens is the enemy wants to come and, and tempt you into sin or entice you uh, or, or just shackle you to uh, an old mindset, to a defeated mindset, to a, a poverty mentality, whatever it might be. He comes at you with the same fiery darts over and over and over again. And I wonder if there's ever been a moment where you could turn and face the devil and say, it is written. And some of you can't because you don't know what's written. You don't know what's said. And so the enemy comes against your life and you hold up the shield of faith and you play defense. But I want to tell you, there's another weapon in the armor of God. The Bible says we can take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How do you grow in wisdom? You get in the word and you get the word in you. And I'm going to tell you, if you'll do that, God will begin to give you victory over battles that you've lost. Time and time again because you weren't equipped in the word. You need to find a word that speaks to your situation and apply it to your heart. Apply it to memory. Jesus grew in wisdom. Secondly, number two, he grew in stature. Now, I know that that may speak of the natural sense. He grew up as a young boy. And so most of us in this room, we would say, you know, I'm past that. I'm not growing in stature anymore. But I want to just broaden your definition a little bit of stature to understand that what I mean by that is these are all the these are all the things that deal with the physical world in the physical sense Jesus grew yes it's about our health but it's also about our finances it's about our career it's about the things that you have in this life and it's about the things in this life that have you Jesus grew in stature. Before he became a minister at the age of 30, he was a carpenter and he was established in that work. He was credible in that work. Now, again, I don't have time to, to go into all of these details, but let me just touch on the one that you're probably hoping I won't touch on. And that's your physical health. Jesus grew in stature. Let me make a couple comments about our physical body. Because I want you to know that how you take care of your physical body is a spiritual issue. 
I know that was a little harder to amen to, but somebody help me. How you take care of your body, it really is. It's a spiritual issue. And by the way, you only get one chance. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19 and 20 says, and this is Paul writing to a very godless society. A society that thought spiritualism only had to do with spiritual things. And so they could worship God on the weekend and go and live like the devil the rest of the week. And so God writes to them, or Paul writes to them and says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. At salvation, Jesus ransomed us. He purchased us. He brought us back from death to life. But now Paul is saying, your life is not your own. You're his. Honor God, not just with your heart, not just with your lip service. Honor God with your body. Now, here's, here's what we do. A lot of times when, when we read a verse like that, immediately we think about the sins of commission. We think of things like uh, sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, self-mutilation, drunkenness. We think about all the things that we could commit that would dishonor God with our bodies. But I want, to, I want to just challenge you to expand your understanding of what I'm saying a little bit. To not just include the sins of commission, but also the sins of omission. In other words, there's things that, that you should be doing, but you omit to do. And it's sin just as much as the sins of commission are. I'll give an example. We ought to get proper rest. We ought to get proper rest. Now, of all the commandments in the Word of God, number four is probably the commandment that is broken the most often by the most Christians without the least bit of conviction. But I want to promise you, even if you've overlooked it all of your life, it's still in there. God said in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. God instituted a day of rest for our lives, for our body, for our well-being. And listen, a lot of times we look at it as, you know, I need a day of rest at the end of a long week because I'm so tired and I'm so exhausted that I can do nothing else except just collapse. Because, hey, Sabbath was the seventh day, the last day. But I want to get you to consider something for a minute. The Sabbath was the seventh day, the last day for God. But it was actually the first day for man. Because God created man on the sixth day. And then the first thing that man did in obedience to God was rest. Now think about how this changes our definition of, of rest. That <coughs> Rest is more than just getting refreshed so that you can go back to the grind. Rest is worship. Rest is <clears throat> acknowledging the fact that while I was sleeping, God went before me and established my steps. When Adam and Eve got up on, on day six, they were created. They woke up to a world that had already been perfectly acclimated and engineered for the human race. 
Think about it. God didn't have to create any more plants, any more animals, any more oxygen, sun, moon, stars. All that was done. God worked while they rested. And they woke up and saw everything that God did. And as an act of worship and an act of obedience, before they went out and tried to subdue the earth, they rested. There's something significant, more than just physical, when you start your week out by saying, God... I recognize you can do more while I'm sleeping than I could ever accomplish while I'm awake. And so rather than trying to just jump right into the grind and get the overtime and, and try to get in the extra work, Lord, I'm going to take time. I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest not just for the sake of sleep. I'm going to rest in the provision that you have made. That's what, that, that's what the Sabbath is all about. And God wants you to develop a pattern of rest in your life. And then, like Adam and Eve, you get up to start your week refreshed and ready to honor God for the blessing that He's put into your life. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. It says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. What a great promise prayed that promise many times over my, my daughters. I've prayed it over people that have come to me and said, I've got anxiety, I'm restless, I can't sleep. This is the promise from God that you will lie down in peace and sleep. Why? Because God causes us to dwell in safety. Our rest comes under the acknowledgement that God is in control, that He's working while we're sleeping, that He's sovereign over our lives. I'm telling you today, your physical rest is a spiritual matter. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, Come to me, all who are weary and under a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Now there's certainly a spiritual application to rest for our weary souls, but I'm going to tell you, God wants to give you rest, even naturally. He wants to help you to sleep well. Well, while I'm already getting personal, I might as well jump all the way in. Not only do you need proper rest, but come on. I won't get an amen here, but I'm going to try. You need proper diet and exercise. I just lost all the Facebook watchers. They're like, swipe up. We out. Right? Come on, how many of you know it's true this morning? Paul told Timothy. This young man in the ministry trying to balance his life. He said these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I know that verse sounds like it's saying physical exercise is not that important. But I'm going to tell you, he's saying in light of eternity... In light of the fact that your soul is going to live forever in a glorified body, it might not matter that much. But he still couldn't bring himself to say it doesn't matter. Because in this life, in the here and now, how many of you know that physical exercise and eating right matters? It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual matter. Because you can't win spiritual victories if you're physically fatigued. You just can't. And the watchword that I want to give you is temperance. The word means self-control. Self-control. We might use the word moderation. 
writing to that same church in, in Corinth, Paul in 1 Corinthians is talking again to people that they don't see the connection between their physical life and their spiritual life. There's a disconnect. <clears throat> and so Paul begins to quote them in some of the things that they say. And then he responds with wisdom. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, quoting them, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but, he replies, I will not be mastered by anything. <clears throat> That's wisdom, isn't it? That's wisdom. You know, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we start asking what is right. When we start trying to find the line and say, how far is too far? Is, is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay for me to do that? Listen, I, I did a, a lot of years of youth ministry, and I've talked with a lot of young adults, and many, many times they come into the conversation with the wrong question. The question they're asking is, how far is too far? The question they're asking is, can I do this and still be okay with God? And when you try to serve God by figuring out where the line is and get your toes on the line and see what you can get away with, I'm telling you, you're asking the wrong question. Stop asking, is it right? And start asking, is it wise? That's what Paul was saying. Is it, is it wise? Oh, I, I, I can do that. You can't show me a verse in the Bible that says I can't do that. But is it wise? We need to have temperance in our lives. God wants to establish your steps in taking care of your body. I, I don't know about you, but I'm concerned that if I don't get this right, one day I might get to heaven and, and stand before God and, and realize that he had another 20 years of, of powerful and effective ministry established and laid out for me to come to. But I never got to it because my physical body didn't hold up because I didn't establish my life. See, I don't want to get to that place where I look at all, all the things that I did for the Lord and I say, God, I give all these crowns back to you in worship. And God says, you could have given me a lot more. You fell short of the finish line. You didn't last because you weren't a good steward of what I gave you. I'm telling you, your physical body matters. It's a spiritual matter because you can't do spiritual work when you're dead. It matters. We need to grow in wisdom, church. We need to grow in stature. And then Luke 2.52 2 goes on to say, Jesus grew in favor, <coughs> in favor with God and with man. Let me tell you about favor with man. We need to build relationships in the church. Last year, our, our theme for the whole year was better together. And I shared dozens of scriptures with you to establish that point that, that we're called to be a part of a family of God, that we're called into the church, that, that God created the church. It was his idea. I don't want to give you a scripture about it today. I just want to give you a story. I want to illustrate this point of having relationships in the church. <clears throat> the wildebeest is a, a type of African antelope that migrates yearly in huge herds to the plains of Tanzania's Serengeti to mate 
and to birth their young. But also in the Serengeti, roam vicious predators, including the hyena. In this hostile setting, a newborn wildebeest has about 15 minutes to get up and to run with the adult herd. Slow starters become hyena lunch. The Discovery Channel showed a film of a wildebeest giving birth on the Serengeti. Her baby barely had time to get used to breathing air when the mother began nudging it to stand up. Picture the newborn there with wobbly hind legs and its forelegs still bent underneath its bobbing head. Between the mother's nudging and the baby's inexperience, the newborn was all but worn out after five minutes of repeated attempts to stand up. But what the Discovery Channel captured was the hyenas that were approaching with stiff legs, slightly bared teeth, and a lowered head. The mother wildebeest bravely steps in front of the hyena, but another hyena appears, followed closely by a third. The mother <coughs> lunges at the newcomer, and although it backs away, another skulks in closer to the helpless infant. Before long, there's a circle of hyenas around the mother, occupying her, while even more hyenas eat the baby. But what was fascinating about the story is that meanwhile, spread out nearby, are literally thousands of other wildebeest grazing. Every now and then, lifting up their head to watch the desperate mother attempt to fight off the hyenas. Any one of them could have gotten involved, and certainly all of them together could have defended the newborn, but not a single one does. I think you get the application of the metaphor. We need the body of Christ. We need to build relationships in the church. None of us are called to be a lone ranger in the faith. There's no extra credit in heaven for those that go it alone. I want to promise you it's an insult to the plan of God for your life to think that you can do it by yourself. God has created a family. He, the church, was <coughs> his idea. I want to challenge you. Hear my heart today. I want to challenge you to grow in your relationships in the church. <coughs> Jesus grew in favor with man. Invest your life in the church this year. Do life with other believers. But don't just build relationships in the church. I want to challenge you to build relationships outside of the church as well. <clears throat> because friendship is the strongest bridge to lead people to salvation. I mean, thank God for all the means that the gospel could go out to the ends of the earth. But more than any other effort, relationship is the best, the best bridge for evangelism. Right, right here, by a show of hands, if, if you are a Christian and you came to faith because of somebody that you knew personally, could have been a friend, could have been a teacher, could have been your mom or dad, if, if you came to faith because of somebody that you knew personally that invited you to Jesus, raise your hand. Yeah, most of the hands in the room. Most of us. That's why we've got to be intentional about building relationships. Now, some of you, you you're... 
you're established like Dr. Pepper, man. You've been serving Jesus since 1885, maybe. And you're like, hey, I don't have any unsaved friends. Like, all my friends love Jesus. You need to make the effort to be a bridge builder and to build relationships with people that don't know God. Jabez prayed it like this in 1 Chronicles. Jabez said, Oh God, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. That's a great prayer to pray. God, enlarge my territory. Enlarge my circle of influence. Put more people in my life that I can influence for the kingdom of God. Jesus told us how to love, not just the lost, but our enemies. Jesus said, you who are listening, I say this, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That's what we're called to do. Not just did he tell us how to love our enemies, he showed us. When you look at the life of Jesus, the last miracle that he performed before he went to the cross was a miracle for one of his enemies. You remember when he was in the garden praying and they came to arrest him and Peter tried to fight them off and he cut off the ear of one of the guards. And the Bible says Jesus bent down and he picked up the ear of that soldier and he put it back on his head. That's loving your enemies. One of the last prayers Jesus prayed before he died on the cross was a prayer for his enemy. Jesus, hanging there, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What was he doing? He was loving his enemies in that moment. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you, friendliness matters. It matters because the world is going to think about Jesus what they think about the church. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but you are the only Jesus that some people have ever met. Because he lives in you. They've never been to church. They've never heard a sermon. They've never read their Bible. What they perceive of you and Christians is what they perceive of, of God. Let me ask you to just entertain that thought for a moment. What do people think about Jesus at your workplace? I, I can tell you, and I'm glad that she's here in this service. I can tell you what people think about Jesus at Stauffer's of Kissel Hill in Lidditz because they posted something on their website this week about Flora Stuber, one of their employees and one of our church members. <coughs> and I want, I want to read the raving review that that company got from one of their customers who sent in a review. This is what the customer said. They said, no matter what day I shop and she is working, she glows with warmth and friendliness when she greets me. She always does whatever it takes to accommodate her customer's request. I always start at the deli when shopping. And it's an extremely satisfying experience when she is there. And I'm fortunate enough to have her be the one to call my number for service. When she worked in the meat department, she was my favorite there also. Be assured... Other employees there are also great. However, Flora stands out to me with her caring nature. That's a pretty awesome review, wouldn't you say? I think that's awesome. That tells me something. That tells me that, that she embodies the, the, character, the character of Christ in the workplace. And I'm gonna I said this last week. I'm going to say it again today. Your work is 
your worship. It's not something separate we do in the four walls of the church on Sunday. Your work is your worship when you make up your mind to do what the scripture says. That whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. God wants to enlarge your influence. God wants you to have an impact for his kingdom in the earth. How do we do it? We build relationships with other people. We grow in wisdom. We grow in stature. We grow in favor with men. You ought to be liked. Besides, nobody listens to mean people. <laughs> you ought to be liked by the people that work with you. Because you're Jesus in that workplace. Let me give you the last one, number four. Jesus grew in favor with God. <clears throat> and so can you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29 verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Listen, if you're going to grow in favor with God, you got to seek him. you got to seek God with all of your heart. The last two Sundays, I've shared a verse with you out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Because it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We ended the last year with that verse. We started this year with that verse. But I want to go to it one more time. Because I want to emphasize the second half of that verse. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. Now hear this. And that He re rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's what faith is. Faith is believing that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I want to challenge you this year to make God's presence the priority of your life. To seek God. The Bible says that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Seek Him with all of their heart. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, bread is the most common staple that we could use to illustrate just everyday needs for survival. We need food. We need nourishment. And so Jesus says, we don't live by bread alone. We live by the word of God. We need to get that kind of understanding about the presence of God, that it matters so much that we would seek God as a priority in our lives. Could you just imagine if, if people use the same excuses for other things in life that they use for God? All the excuses that we make up for not seeking God, for not, for not reading our Bible, for not going to church, for not praying. All the excuses that we give God. Imagine for a minute if we used those same excuses for something, say, as common as eating. It might sound like this. I don't eat because I was forced to eat as a child. You ever heard somebody make that excuse about church? <clears throat> or how about if they said this, well, I don't eat anymore because, well, people who eat all the time, they're just hypocrites. They're not really hungry. Think about how silly it would be if people gave this excuse about eating like they do about church. I don't really eat anymore because, well, there's just so many different kinds of food out there. I can't really decide. <laughs> or how about this excuse? I don't eat anymore. I used to eat, but I got bored and I stopped. 
I don't eat anymore, except on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Well, none of my friends will eat with me. I don't eat anymore. But I'll eat when I get older. Do you imagine if we use those excuses? <clears throat> or what if people said, ah, I don't believe that eating does anybody any good. It's just a crutch. You know, people just use it as a crutch. Or what if people said this, I don't like eating anymore because those restaurants and grocery stores, all they want is your money. <laughs> but we use those lame excuses for not prioritizing the presence of God in our life. For not being faithful to His house, faithful to His word. Can I just encourage you, if you're going to grow in your faith <coughs> and in favor with God, stop making excuses and start executing just start being faithful to put God first on your calendar. Resting in knowing that God is providing for you even when you're off the clock. That God is providing for you even when your eyes are closed. And so as an act of worship, I'm going to give God the first day of my calendar. I'm going to just honor God by spending time in His house. Be faithful to God with your finances. By trusting that the God who gave you what you have will meet your next need. And so you don't have to wait till everything's paid and everything's covered to tip God. But to say, God, I'm putting you first in my finances. I'm bringing my tithe to the Lord. Because I trust you. Put God first in your prayer time. Not just calling out to Him at the moments of desperation. But saying, God, I need to hear from you every day. Not just in the crisis. Put God first. Be faithful in your devotional time to open up the word and hear God's will for your life. Listen, as you move into 2018, you don't need a resolution. What you need is a routine. You know, we make these resolutions, like these big things we're going to do. You don't need a resolution. You need a routine. Don't say, I'm going to read the Bible, the whole Bible this year. No, just get a routine. And say, I'm going to read the Bible for 20 minutes. Every day. You'll meet the goal. But what you need is a routine. <clears throat> Don't say, you know, I, I'm going to try to get in church more this year. Just set a routine. Clear your calendar on Sundays. Make sure you're not out too late on Saturday night. Get your clothes laid out. Get them pressed. Get them ironed. Get the kids' clothes laid out. Get up in the morning and you just, you go. It's a routine. It's funny. You know, I've, I've grown up in church my whole life. And I've never wondered what I was going to do on Sunday. I just never had. And I'm not, I'm not boasting about that. I'm thankful for it. Church was not an option in my house. Now, sometimes it got dicey navigating around the afternoon football schedules and Soccer schedules and baseball schedules and wrestling tournaments. and We had all that same stuff too. But church was never an option. It was a routine. I didn't ever once in my childhood say, I'm going to try to be more faithful to church this year. Didn't have to. It was a routine. You want to grow in the favor of God. Be faithful. God's favor follows faithfulness. His favor follows faithfulness. That's why David said in Psalm 23, your goodness and your mercy follow me 
all the days of my life. Why was goodness and mercy following David? Because David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He was walking with God every day of his life. God wants to favor your life. And the good thing is, he's no respecter of persons. In other words, he's not looking down at favorites to favor. He's looking for faithful. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. God wants to show up. He shows up in our lives when we open up. And God opens up when we show up. When we're just faithful. I want to challenge you to make God's presence your priority. Now in just a moment, I, I want to pray for all of us that God's going to establish us in one of these areas in our lives. But before I do, I want to make an appeal to you. Because that verse that I just quoted again that I read earlier out of Jeremiah says that if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. And maybe you're here today and you haven't sought God with all of your heart. He hasn't been the priority of your life. You certainly would not say at this moment that, that God is leading your life. And maybe that wandering is what brought you here today. I don't know. But if you're not following God, if you're not living for God, I want to just tell you there's one step for you to take. Just one. It's really easy. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You need to seek Him with your whole heart. God's not looking for a standard of perfection. God's not saying, get all this stuff figured out in your life. All this stuff that you're not doing right, you know, it, it, you don't know enough of the word, you're not living a healthy lifestyle, you, you know, you're not acting right on your workplace, you don't have a good reputation with other people, you certainly don't talk to God. He's not worried about all that. There's one step for you to take. It's to humble your heart, to submit yourself and to say, God, I seek you with everything that I am. I seek you as God. Seek you as Lord and Savior. If you need to do that today, if you need to take that step, I want to pray for you right now. <clears throat> I'm going to ask everybody in this room to bow their head with me and close their eyes. As we get ready to pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now in this moment to respond to God. He's speaking to you about the direction of your life. He wants to order and establish your steps. But you're not in relationship with Him and you know you need to be. This can be your moment to say, Jesus, I'm coming I'm coming to you as my Savior. I'm coming to you to lead my life. I recognize today, God, that I cannot, I cannot do it on my own. I need a rescuer. I need you to save me and forgive me of my sin. Give me a new start today. If that's you and you say, Pastor Aaron, I want to pray a prayer and ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Right now, while every heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just lift your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. Lift it, lift it up to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Several hands have gone up today. Listen, we're going to pray, and right now, something's going to change. Say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation talking about something supernatural it says the old things are gone behold all things have become new that's what's about to happen in your heart and life I want you to pray this prayer with me from your heart and I'm going to ask the church to pray it with us 
Let's pray it out loud. Come on, by faith. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't find my own way to salvation. But I believe that Jesus came to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, you are the only way to get to God. So I put my faith in you. I repent of my sins. I receive your gift of salvation. Today, by faith, I have a new beginning. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. All things have become new. I'm established in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm going to ask everyone, would you stand to your feet with us? And can we just take about 10 seconds and give God praise for the work that he's already doing in our hearts and lives today? Come on, let's give God praise today. God, we thank you. Thank you, God. Aren't you glad that he's still by his spirit speaking to his church? Now, it's little by little. You're not going to make one giant course correction today and be like, well, glad I came to church. Now I'm ship shape, ready to go. No. It's a daily grind. It's little by little. It's step by step. But in the course of this message, I believe the Holy Spirit impressed upon your heart one thing that maybe stood out above the rest. You know it's an area that you need to grow in wisdom. Maybe God's calling you to His Word, to be disciplined, to learn the Word, to apply the Word, to have the weapons of warfare so that you can combat the enemy. Maybe the Lord's been speaking to you about that physical realm, whether it's your health or, or, or an addiction or a struggle or a lack of exercise or a lack of proper rest or Maybe it's in the area of your finances, but it's something in that physical world. And you know that your obedience this week is not to come to an altar, but it's to adjust your calendar. I don't know what it is, if it's insomnia or Netflix. But, you know, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You're going, you know what, i, I got to make some adjustments here. Maybe for you, it's, it's your relationship with other people. God's calling you to build bridges and to carry His light into the world. Maybe it's favor with God. You need to prioritize His presence. But whatever that is right now in your life, as we stand, just make an altar where you're at and just begin to talk to the Holy Spirit about it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've already turned the searchlight on our hearts. You've illuminated our eyes to give us understanding today because you, Lord, want to establish the steps of men and women who delight in your ways. And God, we do. We delight in your ways. We came today to seek your face. Now, God, by your spirit, would you give us practical steps, those things in our life that maybe they've just been dreams, things that we've thought about doing, things that we wanted to do, things we longed for. But Lord God, you're calling us in 2018 to not just dream, but to open our eyes and to take actionable steps of obedience. God, lay the groundwork for us. Pave the way in our hearts and in our minds and in our eyes, God, this week so that we can take one course-correcting step in our lives to be established.
in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you that you're leading us now. You're going to lead us through this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.